Well, good morning. Four of you, cool. Uh, welcome to LifePoint Church. My name is Adam Purcell. I'm the teaching pastor here. We are really glad that you're here to worship Jesus with us this morning, whether it's your first time or you've been here so many times, you've lost track. We are genuinely thankful you're here with us this morning. We're in the second week of a series that we're calling Away from the Manger. And, and before we get into that today, I do have a, a brief announcement that I need to share with you. Uh, we have had a couple of recent sudden staff transitions. Uh, we have communicated with our members about those transitions. If you have any questions, you are free to ask us anything. And, and so, so because of that, for some of us, it's been, a, it's been a really difficult week. I am one of those people. It's been a really difficult week for me. If I cry a lot today, I managed to not cry at all during the 9.30, so yay for that. Um, but if I just sob for a little bit, just pray for me, it'll be all right. And so, so for, for some of you, that's where you are. Like, you're really heartbroken this week. Others of you, you're like, yeah, I'm good. Like, I, I don't even know what you're talking about, but I'm good. But I want to remind you, uh, no matter what you bring into, into our um, gathered worship time uh, this morning, our goal has not changed. Every Sunday we, we come here together and we have, we have a goal and the goal is to worship Jesus. And, and no matter what is going on in our personal circumstances, Jesus' tomb is still empty. He is still ruling all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him and he is worthy of our worship. And so that is what this time is. This time is us gathered together as a church family to worship Jesus because, because he is worthy of our time, our energy, our worship, our praise, our study of his word. He is worthy of all of those things. And so the goal has not changed. And so the, the big idea for this series, if you want to take notes, is that Christmas is just the beginning. And so, you know, some of us, we, we have what you, what you might call a Christmas-only faith. And, and what I mean by a Christmas-only faith, because Christmas is awesome. I don't know if you love Christmas. I love Christmas. And I understand that depending on what's happened in, in your life, there may be some, some uh, sadness that's kind of commingled with your joy about Christmas. But Christmas is awesome. People buy you stuff. That's pretty cool. And there's this really awesome sense of nostalgia for your childhood. And it just feels, it just feels good. Christmas feels good. And, and the truth is, a, a lot of us want to keep our faith in Jesus Christ kind of like that, right? Like we want it to feel good and we like it when he gives us stuff, but, but it, going, going beyond that, like doing the hard things to obey him, we're not really into that. We have a, a Christmas only faith. And what I want to challenge you over the next few weeks in this series is that and Christmas really is just the beginning, and we're all commanded to grow in our love of Jesus, our obedience of Jesus, and, he, and he's worthy of that. And so today we're going to be in Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 30. And so before we jump into God's word, let's pray together and ask the Lord to help us. Father in heaven, we praise you and thank you because you are good and you are worthy of our praise Father, thank you for your choice to reveal yourself to us through your word and, and God, to reveal, reveal yourself most fully through your son, Jesus Christ. Our hope together this morning is that we would worship your son, Jesus, that we would be conformed into his image because that is what is best for us. And God, we confess to you that we cannot do that on our own, but God, we need your help. And so, Father, by your Holy Spirit, please be here active and present among us. Please conform us into the image of your Son, Jesus. Help us to love and trust him more because we were here together. Father, help us to obey him more because we were here together. God, you are so very good. Please grant us the help that we need. We pray this all in Jesus Christ's holy name. Amen. <clears throat> So Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 16, we're going to read verses 16 through 30. And he, he is Jesus, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. 
And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, which would have been Saturday for them, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, which you can find in your Old Testament, was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written. And for us, this is chapter 61 of of Isaiah. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, isn't this Joseph's son? And he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. And what Jesus is getting at there, and he, he kind of says this, but, but they've heard now that he's been doing all these really cool, miraculous things in other places. And what they're saying is, Jesus, the gift part of what you do, we like that, give us some of that. And so Jesus is responding to, to that in them. And he continues, what we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. Quick side note, by the way, so, so I'm from Mount Vernon originally, and when, we, when Molly and I moved back to Mount Vernon to, to plant this church, I, I bumped into this random guy at Kroger who really doesn't know me, and we started talking, and he's like, well, you know, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. I was like, thank you? Like, I don't really know. Like, so you think this is going to go great. Is that what you're saying? And so this, this is not my life first, just so we're on the same page, not my, not my life first. But we continue in verse 25. Jesus says, but in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, who's a prophet in the Old Testament, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill which, on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff, which seems pretty extreme, but that's what's happening. Verse 30, but passing through their midst, he went away. And so as has become our habit, we're going to make three observations about the text. And the first observation we'll make is that Jesus came to proclaim good news. You see this in the text. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, is what Jesus said. And there he's quoting from Isaiah 61. Jesus came to proclaim good news. And so there are two questions that I I want to ask with you as we think about that reality from Luke chapter 4. And and the first question is, what is the good news that Jesus came to proclaim? And why is it good news? So what is the good news and why is it good news? And so the good news is that there really is this God who created everything, everything that you have ever seen, including you and I. This great God has made all of it. But you and I, we have a problem. Our sin separates us from this God, and that makes us his enemies. But he loves us so very much that he sent his only son, Jesus the Christ. Jesus lived a perfect life. He was eventually arrested, tortured, executed on a cross. And God's word tells us that somehow, way, Jesus' death on the cross pays the penalty for our sin. But the great news is Jesus did not stay dead. But rather, on the third day, he rose again from the grave. He eventually ascended to the right hand of God the Father. And he invites everybody everywhere to trust him. 
That is the good news about Jesus the Christ. And I want you to notice something that is important and maybe is easily lost in our culture. This was news, not advice. If you notice, I did not give you any advice in what I just shared with you. I shared with you news about what a guy named Jesus, who also happens to be God, what he did in his life and death and resurrection and now in ruling the heavens and the earth. My advice to you would be, trust him. He is the king of all and he can save you. That is my advice to you. But the good news is not good advice, it's good news. It's news about what Jesus Christ has accomplished. And Jesus said that he came to proclaim good news to the poor and to everybody else. And so, so why is that good news? Because again, I think for a lot of us, especially if you've not grown up in, in church, you, know, you just heard me tell a story pretty rapidly about, okay, there's a God and he made all the stuff and that seems cool and then... The guy died, like Jesus died, and that's good, and I'm confused why that's good. Like, why, why is it good that 2,000 years ago, a guy named Jesus died? Like, why, why is that good, good news? And, and the short answer is, it's good news because of my sin and your sin and what that does to us. And so let me talk personally about me based on what God's Word tells us. And so, so because of my sin, I am guilty. There is a penalty attached to my sin, and I am guilty before a, a holy God. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's the penalty of sin, but there's also the power of sin. And because of the power of sin operating in my life, I am a slave and I am blind. Jesus talked about both of those things in the text. He talked about freeing the captives, those who have been taken away into exile, into slavery and subjugation by, an, he's really in Isaiah, he's talking about the Babylonians, like taking God's people away, but slavery and blindness. Sin has a power that it works over us. John 8, 34 through 36 says, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin. So if you've got a practice of doing sin, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. That's what Jesus says. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Verse 35 of John chapter 8, the slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son, who is Jesus, remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Because of my sin, I am guilty and I need forgiven. And because of my sin, I am a slave, and I need to be set free. And the problem that I have is I cannot forgive myself for those sins, and I am not powerful enough to set myself free. I need someone else with the goodness and the power to give me the forgiveness and the freedom that I so desperately need and I am not different than you. The reason the good news is good news is because of what sin does to us. It renders us guilty before a holy God, and it also enslaves us. I get to talk to people a lot and, and listen to their perspectives on life. And, and one of the things that I've, that I've noticed, both in my own attitudes and also when I listen to other people, is when, when we think about other people, I think we've got a, a lean one way or the other. Some of us look at other people and we see criminals everywhere. Like that guy's a bad guy, that girl's a bad girl, they're bad, bad, they all, they all do the bad things and I don't like them and I, I wanna punish them or I wanna stay away from them. You, you tend to see people as criminals. And some of you are sitting there thinking, yeah, that's me. Like I just, that's just kinda how, I don't trust people. Like I think they're criminals. Others of us, we lean kind of more on the opposite direction where we, we tend to more see people as victims. 
And we're like, oh man, if you only knew their story. And oh, like, yeah, I, I saw them do this bad thing, but really, man, I, I, I know this thing about them. And, and that's, that's why. And so we, we tend to see other people and maybe even ourselves as victims or maybe as criminals. And so if you go to the scripture and say, well, which, which is it? Are we, are we criminals or are we victims? The answer is yes. Before God, I am a criminal. I am guilty of worshiping the creature rather than the creator. But I'm also victimized by my sin. It blinds me and it enslaves me. The good news is good news because Jesus and Jesus alone has the authority, the power, the kindness, the love to free us from the slavery of our sin, to give sight to spiritually blind people and to give us the forgiveness that we so desperately need so that we can have a restored relationship with a holy God. I can't save me, and you can't save me, and I can't save you. We need Jesus. So my advice to you is trust him, because he's really, really, really good. And I want to remind you, if you would say, yes, I trust Jesus, Jesus has made me new, praise God that you would say that you've, you've trusted God's son Jesus to, to redeem you and to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Because we are new, we are also missionaries. And if you know this, if you, if you know that everyone everywhere desperately needs to know Christ, because again, what can happen in our Christmas-only sort of faith is, is we, we find our own faith personally meaningful and we recognize that personally we were dead in our sin and we're thankful that Jesus made us alive. We recognize that personally we were enslaved to sin and we're thankful that Jesus set us free, but we look at it other people and we're like, oh, well, from what they're telling me, they don't know Jesus, they don't love Jesus, but they seem happy, so we're just gonna like, let, let them do what they want. And I wanna challenge you. Jesus says in the Gospel of John, as the Father has sent me, me being Jesus, so I am sending you, you being us. So Jesus has sent us as missionaries and as missionaries, we do whatever it takes to reach the one. Not like shrug our shoulders and say, oh, well, they're completely still enslaved in their sin and they're not yet forgiven by God for their sin. Okay, you win some, you lose some. That's not our attitude towards people who do not yet know and love Jesus because we know that Jesus brings life and we want everyone that we know to have that life. And so I want to challenge you to remember that if you are new, then you are a missionary and Jesus has sent us to proclaim the good news about what he has accomplished in his death and resurrection and we do whatever it takes to reach the one. So I would ask you, which I feel like we've said a lot this fall because it's so easy for us to forget, who's your one? Is there uh, a person or maybe two or three people, a short list of people, and as far as you know, they don't yet know? They don't yet trust Jesus? Is there someone that you're intentionally praying for, maybe even daily? That'd be crazy, right? Praying for the same thing every day. Is there, is there, is there someone who you would say, yeah, this person, they're, they're my one, and I love them, and as far as I know, they don't love Jesus yet, but I want them to love Jesus. I, w- I want to challenge you, if you don't yet have a one, um, choose one. Pray to God and ask God to, to reveal to you who he wants you to focus your uh, attention on and praying to him for their salvation and, and God willing, opening your lips to share the good news about Jesus with that person. Uh, There are two things coming up that will hopefully help you in that. Uh, The first is our Christmas Eve services. So Christmas Eve, if you don't know, that's December 24th, the eve before Christmas. And so at 5 and 6.15, we'll have two identical services here. We would love for you to come. And I don't know why, but in our culture, you listen to someone and it's clear they don't love Jesus. They don't believe any of the things that we believe. But sometime around December 22nd, 23rd, 24th, you know what they think to themselves? 
I should go to Christmas Eve service. I don't know why. I'm glad they do it. If that's you, so glad you do that. And so be aware of that and, and understand that because of whatever culturally is going on right now, there, this is a unique opportunity in, in those seasons that we have in our U.S. culture to invite people that you love very much to come and worship Jesus with you on, uh, on December 24th. And so 5 and 6, 15... We'd encourage you to, to leverage that opportunity. The other thing that I'll mention to you, uh, starting in the first Sunday in January, we're going to do a series called Too Good to Be True. And I'm pretty excited about the series. Maybe that's because I wrote it, so I'm maybe biased towards it. But, but in the Bible, there are things that whether you're, especially if you're not a Christian, you point at that and you say, I don't like that. And honestly, as a Christian, sometimes I read the scriptures and I see things and I'm like, I don't, I don't like that. I mean, I, tr- I trust that God is right and I am wrong, but there are things in the Bible that we don't like. There are also things in the Bible that everybody likes. Like you read the Bible and you're like, wow, everyone wants this. And so we're going to spend five weeks talking about those things, talking about those things that I would say you see in the scriptures and you're like, man, everyone wants this. And so I would encourage you, uh, beginning of January, I think it'll, again, it'll be uh, a great time to invite a friend who does not yet know Jesus uh, to come and just to be here with us. And so the second observation we'll make in the text is that Jesus came to fulfill God's word. And so we said Jesus came to proclaim good news. Jesus also came to fulfill God's word. Luke Luke 4.21, which we already read, Jesus said, Today, this scripture, referring to Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Bless you. And so uh, I want to talk about a couple things. So Jesus fulfills everything in the Old Testament, everything, the law, the prophets, the predictions, the promises. But two things I want to specifically point out to us this morning, because I think, again, in in our U.S. evangelical culture, we get really excited about the predictions and the prophets, and, and there are lots of predictions about that Jesus fulfilled. Like, hey, he's going to be like this. Hey, he was. Great news. Jesus fulfilled this prediction about, about the Messiah. But I also want to remind you that also in the prophets and, and the rest of the Old Testament, you don't just see predictions. You see promises. And, and I was reading a book by Christopher Wright, who's one of my uh, favorite Old Testament scholars uh, this past week. And, and he, he was highlighting the difference between a promise and a prediction. So a promise you make to a person, a prediction you make about a person. And so, for example, uh, my wife Molly was sitting right there at the 930 service. And 12 and a half years ago, I made a promise to her. I said, I promise to marry you. Like, I, I made a promise to her. That is a totally different thing than me saying, I predict that I will marry Molly. Does that make sense? Those are two radically different things. A promise is something you make to a person. A prediction is something that you make about a person. And in the Old Testament, you see both predictions, but also promises. God promised in the Old Testament to send an anointed one, which is the Messiah. And we saw that in the text that Jesus was quoting from Isaiah 61. God promised to send an anointed one who would, and then we see in the text that Jesus said, I'm fulfilling this today. Proclaim liberty to the captives and the oppressed. And, and if you read Luke and Acts, I was reading a commentary this past week, and he pointed out, the commentator, that every time in Luke and Acts, which Luke also wrote, that the word liberty or, or freedom is used, it always has in view the forgiveness of sin. And so Jesus is saying, hey, I came to proclaim good news. I came to proclaim liberty to the captives, those who have been taken away. I am the fulfillment of this passage. You are seeing this fulfilled in your very midst. He says that he came to bring sight to the blind. Jesus says, I'm fulfilling this. And we see in the earthly life of ministry, both physically, like he's 
talks to blind people, and then he heals them, but also spiritually. He, he removes people's spiritual blindness, and he came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. He is the fulfillment of the predictions about the Messiah in the Old Testament, and he's also the fulfillment of the promises that God made to his people throughout the Old Testament. Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. One of the themes that you see in, in the Old Testament is this idea of exile. So if you read Genesis 1, 2, and 3, you're gonna see God creating Adam and Eve, and stuff is really good. They live in paradise, they live in the Garden of Eden, God walks with them, there's, there's a, a, an intimacy with God in this paradise, and God gives them a world of yes and a singular no. And Adam and Eve chose to disobey God. And what you see in Genesis 1, 2, and 3 is what you could rightly call exile. God talks to Adam and Eve and says, hey, you, you enjoyed intimate fellowship with me in the garden, but you've chosen to break that fellowship. You are now exiled. I'm kicking you out of the Garden of Eden, and I'm setting an angel with a sword in the way so you can never find your way back to the tree of life, which was their, their source. And then God, meet, God meets a guy named Abram who trusted God, and God credits that to him as righteousness. God eventually changes his name to Abraham. And God says to Abraham, I'm going to bless all the families in the earth through one of your descendants. God makes that promise to Abraham. So the people of God, Israel, were meant to be a blessing to the world through which us, most of us I'm assuming are Gentiles, would hear about this great God and be brought in, grafted into the people of God. But Israel kept sinning and worshiping idols, sinning and worshiping idols, rejecting God, and God kept sending prophet after prophet after prophet to his people saying, return to me, repent of your sin, repent from worshiping idols instead of worshiping me, don't do this anymore. God kept sending them prophets and they kept ignoring the prophets and killing the prophets. And so God eventually said, okay, it's clear you're not gonna listen to the prophets that I send your way, so I'm gonna send something different. And so God sends Nebuchadnezzar, the emperor of Babylon, and Nebuchadnezzar marches into Jerusalem after a long siege and burns everything to the ground, including the temple of the living God, which was where God had allowed his presence to dwell with his people. And again, you see, because of sin, people were exiled in their case, from the land that God had given to them, but more and more importantly, exiled from the presence of God. You see that in the Garden of Eden. You see that again played out in uh, First and Second Kings when Israel is continuing unrepentant sin. Uh, one of my favorite authors is a guy named N.T. Wright. Uh, he wrote a book called The Day the Revo Revolution Began. By the way, if you're wondering why there's a stamp on it, uh, my daughter Ella is uh, a budding entrepreneur. And so what she does is she goes into my office, steals my books and my stamps, uh, stamps the book, which means it's for sale, and then she sells it back to me, which is great work if you can find it, right? And so, so I um, bought this book twice, once from the store and then once from my daughter Ella, who's brilliant, right? Like that's a great biz business plan if you can, if you can rock that. Um, so lo love N.T. Wright. Um, don't necessarily agree with everything he says, but um, uh, really appreciate him. And so I want to read this short passage um, from this book to you all. And so he's talking about this, this grand narrative in Scripture, which includes the theme of exile and, and sin. And so he says, within that story, that grand sweeping story, sin becomes the refusal of humans to play their part in God's purposes for creation as a whole. It is a vocational failure as much as we call a moral failure. This vocational failure choosing to worship the creature rather than the creator is the choice of death over life. 
This is why sin and death are so inextricably intertwined in biblical thinking. The former is not the breaking of arbitrary rules. The latter is not the inflicting of arbitrary punishment. To be sure, they can often be spoken of, not least in the prophets, as a legal code to which appropriate penalties are attached. That is a natural way, on the surface, to refer to the whole sorry state of affairs. But deep down underneath, there is nothing arbitrary about sin or death. Choose the one, and you will choose the other. Worship idols, and you'll go into exile. Obey the serpent's voice, and you will forfeit the right to the tree of life. You can't have it both ways. And so what you see in the scriptures is this hope that God would fix the problem of sin and death and exile and blindness and deafness to the things of God. And you see God making these promises. I'm going to fix this. I'm going to restore you to myself. There's going to be an eternal kingdom with someone who's a descendant of Abraham and David to sit on the throne who will rule in justice and reign forever and ever and ever and ever. And when Jesus walks on the scene, Israel had been allowed to move back into Jerusalem, but they still considered themselves in exile because they were under the yoke of Roman, essentially slavery. And so Jesus comes onto the scene and says, the Lord has anointed me. I am the anointed one. I am the Messiah. I am the fulfillment of all of the promises and the predictions that you find in the New Testament. And I am here to proclaim good news that in me the exile can be over. Access to the presence of God. Life. Forgiveness. Freedom from the slavery of sin. Sight. Hearing. Jesus is offering that to everybody. He goes so far as to replace a physical temple somewhere in the Middle East with giving those who call upon his name the Spirit, who takes up residence in our hearts, walking temples with the living God, access to the life-giving presence of the God of all. Jesus came to proclaim good news and he came to fulfill God's promises that we see in the Old Testament. The last observation that we'll make is that the people wanted kid Jesus instead of king Jesus. And you see this in the text where, where Jesus reads the prophet Isaiah. He's reading from Isaiah 61, and he says these gracious words. And they're like, oh, wow, Jesus, you're great. And then he begins to talk to them about some of the things that happened in the Old Testament where Elijah went, was sent by God outside of Israel, and then Elisha, the same. And the people like that turn on Jesus and try to kill him because, you know, this was his hometown. This is where he had grown up. And Jesus is the king of all. But the people didn't want that. They wanted kid Jesus. Do you guys know what I mean by kid Jesus? Like, I've got four kids, and so and I love them all. But because I know more than them and because I'm bigger than them, if I want to ignore them, I can ignore them, right? Like, I can do that. I don't have to take my five-year-old daughter's advice because I know that I know more than she does. If she and I happen to agree, yeah, we'll do that thing together because we happen to agree. And I think for those of us who maybe struggle with that Christmas-only sort of faith, the truth is we like King Jesus' power to save us and help us but we like kid Jesus too, because you can ignore kid Jesus. You can tell kid Jesus to go sit in the corner. You can tell kid Jesus that you don't like what he says. You can, yeah, you can ignore kid Jesus. And I want to challenge you. Jesus is the king. We don't get to treat him like a baby in a manger. 
We don't get to treat him like a child that we can hang out with when we feel like it, take his advice when we feel like it, but ignore him when it is most convenient for us. Jesus is the king. And he died to pay the penalty for our sin, and he has conquered death. And the forgiveness and freedom that you and I so desperately need, he offers to all of us for free, by grace, through faith, in his name. Let's pray together, please. Our Father in heaven, we praise and thank you that you are a good God and that you are worthy of our worship. Father, thank you for the love that you expressed through sending your son, Jesus Christ, to show us what a perfect life looked like, to die on our behalf, paying the penalty for our sin, and to conquer death in his resurrection. And God, we are so thankful that he is even now interceding for us, seated at the right hand of the throne of God. God, guard our hearts from treating Jesus like kid Jesus. God, he is not kid. God, he is the king. So Father, help us to worship him as king of all. He has said in his word that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And Father, we ask for those who are here and do not yet know your son Jesus. Father, that you would reveal yourself to them even now that you would help them to see that Jesus and Jesus alone can give them the forgiveness and the freedom that they need. And Father, for those of us who already know and trust your son, Father, please increase our faith. Help us to obey your son Jesus because he is so worthy. We pray all these things in his holy name. Amen.